everyone, welcome to the Beyond the Dance Floor podcast where we look at everything outside of the moves and the competitions and try to dive a little bit deeper. It's about history, mentality and connecting the dots between the dance and the other aspects of our lives. Today on the podcast we have the general himself, Rockstrite of the Renegade Rockers, Squadron and Red Bull All-Stars. A true honor to have a breaking veteran like him share his experiences and knowledge with you all. Unfortunately, halfway through I made a recording mistake, aka I forgot to hit the record button again, so we lost the original second half of the talk. Luckily, Rockstrike was nice enough to hop on a second time and we recreated the conversation as best we could reality TV style. We talk about his history, getting into renegades, the formation of the squadron, what it means to be a professional b-boy, the art of practice, the legacy of Mex1 and more. A huge shout out to Roxwright again for taking the time to share his experiences with us, and I hope you enjoy the talk. Peace. Okay, welcome everybody. We're here with a very special guest. We have Roxwright from the Renegades and Squadron, and Red Bull, one of the Red Bull All Stars. Is that the the term that they use? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, real pleasure to have you, and uh, yeah, thanks for taking the time to do this. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's a you know pleasure to be able to interact, have a conversation, and just chop it up about breaking and everything. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah, thanks for having um, me. Yeah, to start off, uh, why don't you just give people a little like background on who you are and how you got into dance and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, those that don't know, um, my name, my real name is Omar Delgado. Uh, my dance name is Rocks Ride. And it was given to me by my mentor that I met in 96. He gave me the name in 96. I met him in the fall of 95. And then in 96, I got down in his crew, and then he gave me the name Rockstrike. So Rockstrike, for those that don't know, it's a terminology that is used in hip hop. And, um, you know, it just means to rock right, to represent right, you know. So it's a, it's a term that has existed through MCs, but he gave it to me as a B-boy. So to me, it meant a lot. Um, Who was so this, by the way? His name's Ground Level. His oh. name is Ground Level, and uh, oh. yeah, he's a he's he's a creator of my first crew called Sub Four Street of B Boys. Um, but yeah, that, that's how those are my names. That's how I got my name. Um, but my breaking journey began before I met him. I started breaking in January of '95. Um, the fall of '94, I started junior high in seventh grade, and a bunch of kids I went to school with. Uh, we went to a school dance and they were just dancing. They, they, mm-hmm. they, they just opened up the cipher and started breaking. And uh, watching that, it, it really got me interested into into breaking. But I didn't try it yet. And then I actually saw Ground Level and his crew come and do a showcase mm-hmm. at the school um, in January of 95. And the moment I saw them break, me and my friends went home when we started breaking on that day. So that was <laughs> <laughs> that was my beginning. We went to his house, practiced in the living room for hours, just tried whatever we could. And uh, yeah. yeah, from there on, it was just uh, picked up breaking, just basically being a, vis- a visual learner just from right. watching uh, because you couldn't ask questions. You couldn't. And people back then didn't know how to teach. So it was just brand new. Um, right. Almost felt as if we found something that nobody else knew about <laughs> because at that time in the 90s, uh, breaking was re-emerging in the suburban communities of Northern California. Uh, and for many years, it had faded away, right, from the 80s. So it was, right. it was new. And, um, yeah, it was just this whole new wave of uh, kids breaking at school. Mm-hmm. School dances, town dances, just right. <clears throat> what were the What were some of the ways that you, you, like, got exposed to it other than people coming and doing shows and stuff like that when you were starting out? Because, like, you know, kids yeah. nowadays, they have resources like YouTube and, and all these mm. videos are online and they have tutorials, they have competitions, <laughs> they have, like, interviews and discussion panels and they have, like, all these things that are all available. But you started in a different era yeah. than that. Yeah, yeah. the accessibility now is crazy, um, mm-hmm. but it's a good thing, right, for, for mm-hmm. the future. Uh, the for me when I started, 
I knew what breaking was. I had seen it before when I was young, when I was, when I was a little kid in Mexico before I moved to America. I had seen kids breaking, but I wasn't, I had known what it was. You know, it's like you, you, there's like a memory of somebody doing something, but you don't really know what it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my older brother, I remember seeing him try to do a backspin in the living room as, as, a, as a kid. And then uh, in the nineties, when I moved to to the U.S. going going into the nineties, uh, he was bumping a lot of hip hop and stuff because he was a teenager older than me, seven years older. So he was just constantly playing music. So through that, I started seeing it in music videos here and there. Right. And I would sort of know about it, but I didn't know what it was called. Um, I didn't really know much about it. So I went to junior high that year. And um, there, there was one kid that came from Sacramento uh, and he was doing you know, windmills. He would do head spins. Uh, and he's the one that would break in school breaks, but we were just kind of you know, okay. That's that's breaking, right? That's when we started to somewhat understand or hear about it more. And then that's when I saw the other kids that were migrated because he was older. They were breaking at at, um, at the dances, so we'd go to school dance and they start breaking. And then from there on, I saw my friend who's like a cousin to me. He was breaking, and then his friends were breaking. So it was just. A bunch of you know 10 12 13 year old kids that were getting inspired by by other people around them right, and just right. it was like this new wave right. of uh the cool right of something new and unique for a, a young crowd right. uh, that didn't have many resources or outlets hmm. uh to express themselves at that time where i grew up so breaking was that avenue i think for a lot of them without realizing that because you, when you're young you don't you're not consciously aware of your social surroundings right and you don't think of those things so you age. So for me now, I can explain it that way now. But back then, it was like, oh, that's tight. That's cool. What is that? And it just draws you in. Yeah, cool. Can you like take us a little further on in your in your journey through breaking? Like, as yeah, you, as you got older and more experienced, and getting into some of these other crews that you're in now, or some of the yeah. ones that you were in before. I mean, yeah. What you know, what like you're saying, how you know, if we go back to those times, finding crews in this and and building with people was way different because it was intimidating. I had like a group of friends, but we weren't an official crew. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we went and battled these high school kids and their crew was called sub four, which means straight up B-boys for elements of hip hop. Crazy ass name. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they um, they were, uh, you know, that's the ground levels crew and um, <clears throat> they were just way more advanced. So that that was, uh, it was, you would have to go out, put your name on the line and we battled them a bunch of rounds and uh, they smoked the shit out of us. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's that's how you learn. But that that was uh, our way to get out. That was our way of learning as well and connecting with people. And through that, you know, the, the battling is what I felt really kind of started putting my name out there and, and getting recognized or acknowledged by, by my peers or people in my community, right? That's how my name started getting out. And that's how I was able to interact and connect with these people. And it worked that way outside of where I grew up, right? Because where I grew up is a small town in Northern California. Mm-hmm. Uh, the town, there's two towns. One's called Hillsburg, California, and that's where I started breaking. There was like around 10,000 people that lived there. That was the population. And then the other town where all the bigger crews and so forth and all them were from, that was Windsor. And there are only like 25,000. And then Santa Rosa had a whole bunch of different crews, and that's the biggest city in Sonoma County. And that's about an hour north of San Francisco. So that the way we built up there was, you know, we, we kind of built our names through there. And uh, from there on, it led to to being recognized by the guys from the, from the city, from Frisco. You know, Renegades started noticing me in 99 at an event called Breakmania. And uh, they had been seeing me win a few battles prior to that in the summer of 98 when I started competing in Sacramento and stuff. Some of their members would be checking out these events and um, they noticed that this kid was battling everybody, right? So they saw something in me that they felt could uh, help the crew and the, the legacy of Renegades keep going. So in 2000 at B-Boy Summit, uh, I was battling two people on a cypher for 30 minutes. And uh, the crew leader politics had never seen somebody that young battle these two dudes. And just, you know, basically I, I everybody's consensus was that I beat them. And uh, he came up to me afterwards and asked me if I'd be down to, you know, start networking or connecting with them to to check out what it would be like to be down with Renegades. Yeah. And uh, that time I was like, no, nah, I'm cool because my crew was still very active. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I didn't really look into it more. 
but as as I got closer to graduating high school, uh, everybody started changing directions and what they were doing and the passion right. that they had for breaking. So it led me into into linking up with them, and that's when I you know connected with Wicked, uh, Politics, Manny Styles, Golden Child, OJ, Rest in Peace, Epic, and me and Grand Level got down with them in, in 2000, and that's that's when um. That was the beginning of this whole new chapter in my life for me because I hadn't seen them, you know, watching Radio Tron, mm-hmm. watching Wicked, Jay, Jesse J, and all the crew, Sway, Manny Styles, all these guys just kill it throughout the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it felt like that was, you know, like it's like if I got drafted by the Niners. <laughs> right, right. You know, that, that's what it felt like to me. So <clears throat> that was my journey in the meeting with Renegades. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to connect with many different generations and groups of people that represent not just my region, but the whole country. And um, in 2006, uh, I linked up with um, Speedy and Squid. And uh, this was through Kid David, because Kid David had met them in 2004 at an event called Spin Factor that happened in uh, the East Coast. And so David knew them and that's how we started linking up and we started doing battles together. And that ended up, that was the foundation of what became the squadron mm-hmm. because Max was down with unique styles, Speedy and Squid are unique styles. Me and David are renegades. And then, uh, we connect with Max in 2006. I started, we, we meet him. Then we win our spot into the BWO world team, me and David at outbreak. Uh, then Max starts putting it off, putting us on for battles. And then you start to see this chemistry build between Unique Styles, Renegades, and then you have Masters of Mayhem, uh, Mind 180 guys, uh, Beast Mode, and then you got Luigi. All these guys are there at the beginning, and also Kevl. And uh, yeah, it just kind of became this melting pot of visions and also appreciation for one another's style and respect for each other's approach to the dance, even though we came from different regions and represented different regional styles we still appreciated each other's approach yeah and uh and that was how we we created squadron which became to me was like the beginning of a a a new phase uh in breaking Mm -hmm. uh and what we did i felt it was just i don't think that you had that many people from all over the country come together like that and unite Mm -hmm. uh as one unit you know that it was done through regions i felt before but not to the degree that we did it in at that time it seems like it happened sort of very naturally and yeah. not like a, Hey, let's make a, a super crew kind of thing. It's like a natural, naturally yeah. formed super crew. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not it, really a super crew because it's uh, the funny like, thing. Yeah. It's because there has to be some kind of vibe and kind of chemistry. Yeah, yeah. There is times when people team up and it's, you can see the energy and the vibe, you know, but yeah, yeah. the funny thing is that I judged the prime that they won in 2003. That was like the first big win. Uh, oh, for, yeah. for unique styles so those guys you know they had we had to see i didn't fully like officially like kick it with them or anything like that but i just had met them mm-hmm. and they always just kept the respect and showed my respect towards me and then when kid david you know became under my crew and under basically under me and started helping him he ended up connecting with them and that's what bonded everybody and yeah cool. you know it's, it's a trip <laughs> yeah can you can you talk a little bit about that you and you and Kid David? Because I remember like uh, yeah. when I first started seeing like l- learning about him, it mm-hmm. was always like the two of you as like a duo. You're doing a two on two here, two on two there, and like break disciples and stuff like that. Yeah, and, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. Can you speak a little bit about that? Yeah, Kid David, I I uh, had heard about him through one of my friends. Uh, mm-hmm. He used to practice with me a lie. His name's Eric, mm-hmm. and uh, he would go and practice in different areas in Northern California. So Kid David's from uh, Marin County and I'm from Sonoma County, which is, they're just next, they're next to each other. One's right next to the city and the one's the next county over. Right. So he, he lived in Marin and my friend would go there and, and he kept telling me about this kid, David. Oh, there's this one kid, you got to see him break, you got to see him break. And uh, so that's how I learned about him. And then I finally saw him at prom 2003 battling a bunch of kids in the cypher. And he basically took everybody out. Then this adult guy called him out <laughs> and he battled them too, you know, yeah. but it was just interesting to see that, uh, like to see such a young, hungry kid uh, developing at that time. And um, he ended up getting out with Renegades in 04. 
and uh, that's when he started kind of just learning the style and the approach from the crew, uh, different members that were active at the time. And then, 2000, yeah, the end of 2004, going into 2005, that's when I started building with him a lot more and really just, you know, practicing with him almost every day. I would drive to his house, he would drive to my house, um, and we would just build. And, and, and I was just, you know, as he was way younger than me, but it was at that time, it's almost for my career and my approach at the time, I felt like he was like a breath of fresh air and rejuvenated me to want to push harder. So even though I was the elder and I was the one that was establishing himself on the international side, I was also still older already. And, I, and on one side is a lot of people were quitting at that time during my age. So he was like this this new young hungry cat that had mad fire. And, and all I could do is just give him knowledge and share with him information and try to get him to maybe see something that I lacked or maybe just to understand the dance for what it was. And um, yeah, I mean, he's he, he made me proud. I mean, what he did, it was, you know, he became his own. And mm-hmm. that that's what, to me as a elder who, you know, guided him, it's rewarding to see. And it's, it's, it's you appreciate that type of development and, and growth in somebody because it means that they believed in what you, you were teaching. And right. it goes to show that, they, that he was, uh, he went on to carry a lineage and, a, and and represent a legacy of a crew that that was deeper than just me and him. Yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah, that was that was the <laughs> that's how we met. That's how we connected, and and you know, just taking him, traveling with him all over the place, and battling next to him was always mm-hmm. just. Uh, I learned from him too, in a way, right? Yeah, yeah. Like of course. The exchange, it was an exchange, um, but yeah, it was, it was that was uh, it's been a long time. <laughs> yeah. That's that's one thing that uh, over the the past while, like doing this and talking with a lot of people, like the idea of just like mentorship and how important that is, having mm-hmm. someone not necessarily like teaching you what to do and telling you what to do, but mm-hmm. like guide, like you said, you 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 guided him and you you gave him your experience as someone who's been doing it longer and and just an older person, mm-hmm. yeah, like. And they can take it or leave it, but it's up to them to kind of like create whatever they want with that knowledge. And like you said, he ended up coming into his own and becoming his own, his own unique dancer with the knowledge that you gave him, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that that's true. Yeah, it's important. I think, you know, uh, it's interesting because we're at a point where mentorship is becoming a business mm-hmm. and it's becoming a way of uh, sourcing income from dance. Right. So it's interesting how because my mentors ground level, it was on some straight the, the the methods of old hip hop ways, right? It's like each one teach one passing down knowledge. He was Zulu Cap since ninety three and he he had already like this approach of having style, being fresh, understanding fashion, understanding that this is not just moves. Mm-hmm. He was already putting me on game as to that you have to be you got to use power moves as steps and not actual moves. So it's like he already had like this approach philosophy that was really raw at the time. I mean, to this day, that mindset sticks. It's Mm -hmm. a timeless approach and understanding to hip hop and breaking. Mm -hmm. So his knowledge is huge for me. Um, And he basically, yeah, he helped basically pave way for me. And then with Gremlin, I met Grims in in 99 and then i started kind of working with him more and kind of just being under him from i think it was 2002 and on to about 2000 like i started building him a lot i mean i always still have a lot of love and respect for him no matter what you know but the years that i i, I studied with him the most and, and hung and worked with a lot before he moved to la was like 2002 till around 2004 or five mm-hmm. um but yeah th- you know those guys went out of the way because they saw something in me and and they went on to share that um and that that's just the the way it was right and now with da- with david it was the same thing i just he was just the one student i really sat down and, and had the time to give that but also he was willing to learn it and he was mm-hmm. willing to listen and that's the the biggest thing i think in today's scene that i every now and then you'll see people do it obviously people blossom and they grow into themselves and this thing happens but yeah it's, it's not as common because back then you can see there's a lot of different individuals from different crews that that carried on certain legacies right and and approaches whereas now it's, it's the internet is packaging every everything and everybody's getting packaged through uh 
through wins and, and success in competitions, right? But that's that's the difference I feel now, and it makes it interesting to see where we're at now with that. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how how the dance evolves and yeah, just, you know the the business side of it too. That's mm -hmm. something that's really changed, uh, and yeah. maybe we'll talk about that later. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah um, I okay. So I wanted to talk a bit about um, your your views on just like practice mm -hmm. and this is something that just recently has kind of become more and more interesting and like you know i think there's a lot of people that especially younger younger kids or or just people who i don't know they they kind of approach practices like oh yeah just go and yeah i'll just do some stuff and mm -hmm. maybe that's good for their goals but some people they may they, they can get like frustrated oh, i'm not getting where i want to be and you know yeah. The more you get into it, you learn like, oh, you actually have to kind of like be efficient with practice and that kind of thing yeah. <laughs> if you want to get better, right? Yeah. So maybe can you talk a little about you know, just your approach to practice? Do you just like wing it or do you have like things? No, I, I, can, I can give you different. You see, the thing is for me to have balance in that approach mm -hmm. and because of the time I started, it's a little different, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's not that... I have to force myself to do certain things. It's more yeah. that I feel like doing those things. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. about feeling for me a lot of the time. So when I was younger and I first started, I would say the first four years, first five years, it was hard practices, daily practices, a lot of hours mm -hmm. um, to the point where I developed movement and, and, and enough to where I can do it from whenever, wherever I wanted and whenever I wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, and that was the development phase of my breaking because I don't think practice is meant to be done one way. Sorry about yeah. that. I don't think practice is meant to be done one way that works forever because eventually you'll burn out. This thing's about feeling still, right? We're not like a sport where you're going to throw a ball through a hole every day. Yeah. And it's like, that's what it is. This is the thing about music expression, feeling. So if you don't under if, if you're not breaking that way, eventually you'll burn out or your style will just fade because you're basing it just on the moves that are hot. Mm -hmm. So it, for me, throughout the years, I've learned that the first is after those five years that I developed, I burnt out. I had two years of really bad practicing, like blockade, mental block, where I was just mm -hmm. stuck. I didn't know what to do. I had influence from this side. This these people telling me to do this, and I just got lost in myself. And uh, yeah, my practices were trash. I was doing horrible. I couldn't even do moves. I would go to practice and just be sitting there dumbfounded, oh. like thinking. And it was because there was just a lot of information being given to me. And also I just kind of lost the feeling of that, right? I was trying to be forceful still, where I was trying to force myself to go to practice for hours instead of thinking about breaking, developing things in my mind, appreciating like really like the aesthetics, the approach, the music, the fashion, the, everything that goes with hip hop, it's almost like I let that go for a few years mentally and, and I wasn't in it like that. Even though I felt like I could, I just wanted to go to practice, things weren't really coming through. Uh, and then I found that itch again, you know, and that was when I decided to go back to what I wanted to do, the things that moved me. But so I had all this information and knowledge that was being handed to me, yeah. but that helped as well. It helped define me and helped me create certain things after that. But it was because I implemented it to the way that I moved. Mm -hmm. And in practice, it, it was more about, yeah, I went back to that feeling, but now it was like a new feeling because I went and like found music that moved me. I wasn't just breaking to the music that was being played at every jam and every, every battle that I did was the same beats. And, it, you know, not to take away from the traditional breaks that were being played at the time, but just like any music, when you hear it, all the time yeah yeah you're just you're gonna lose what it is you're gonna lose the feeling that it gives you it's gonna give you that high that first few times that you hear or however many times but after a while it gets played out so practice is similar to that to me because with music my practice developed better with understanding and, and knowing that i wanted to practice like being aware that like oh i feel like breaking today i'm gonna go break it was just making that effort and constantly pushing and, and realizing that music had a bigger role in my dance than I did in the past, right? Those first five years, it was like militant, almost like day five, you know, four hours, three, four, five hours practicing. And then after that development, it's like, okay, beyond the moves and the, the style that you're 
get in, then you get stuck, then comes music. And then I start to go back to that feeling and, and get re-inspired. But, uh, you know, when, when you're competing, definitely you want to be more consistent. Um, you want to have somewhat a regiment uh, of whether it's working out, uh, sparring, um, you know, studying footage and practice. So practice is not just doing the moves, right? Yeah. Practice is also the mental game, the mental game and understanding your abilities and what you lack, what you miss, what you forgot in the last battle, what, what moves you could have threw in after this move. Like it, you have to study yourself if you're going to battle in, in, in the competition realm beyond just practicing the moves every day. You have to be kind of somewhat, you almost want to step out of yourself to see yourself. And because with, when you record yourself, you're able to do that. Yeah. So there's that way of practicing, you know, and that's, I feel that's the best way when you're competing because you're able to be more conscious, more aware of what your movements are, especially when you're going to have to deliver them to an audience, to a pair of judges, to your competitor. Um, so I feel like that would help. And, and that's one, that's another way of practice, right? So I use all these ways. That's the thing. I don't, I don't stick to one way. Yeah. yeah. And then I have this phase where I'm just going through exploration where I just play music that I like and I just explore no structure no mm -hmm. no defined thing like oh I need to do 10 flares today I need to do 590s today yeah, yeah. you know <clears throat> it's, it's, it's free for all I'm exploring playing with ideas mm -hmm. and that's where I'm at right now right that's my phase right now I'm, I'm exploring this new way of connecting my moves uh, finding a new movement challenging myself to do things that I haven't done in the past or you know things that I that are new to me, and it's it's, yeah. it's amazing. So I'm enjoying it, and yeah, it's, it's there's many practice methods, not just yeah. one. I I think that's really important for people to understand, like because breaking is so varied, right? I think that's one of the things that makes it so beautiful and so fun. Like long term, is there yeah. so much to learn, so much variety, and like there's different ways to approach it. You can do competitions or you can just do it for fun. You can do it for like fitness. You can do it for, you mm. know, some people like do it for, I don't know, like it's almost like meditation to them. It's just like, all right, I'm yeah. just going to let go and, and do this thing. It's a moment of disconnection from whatever stresses you might have yeah, as exactly, well. Right? Right. You can unplug from everything. And this is the one moment where you get to just not think about nothing and be free. Yeah. So I think it's important, like, like you said, to have those, uh, different approaches when you practice and different varied, varied kinds of practices. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah, I'm really glad that that came up. <laughs> yeah, man, definitely. <clears throat> I think the last part of practice would be, well, they don't, nobody does it anymore as much as really rare, but just going down to a club and getting down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that was, you know, for me when I was younger, it was going to a party and breaking. Mm -hmm. or going to a foreign, uh, not foreign, but like a, a school dance that wasn't in my school district, right? And, mm -hmm. and finding that there was all the breakers there and you'd go get down and that was a form of practice as well because yeah. you're testing your moves out. Yeah, yeah. These spots in an environment that is not yeah. made for breaking, basically. Well, I think like, to, like you said, having that variety, it's important because like some people can get so fixated on, on certain things and like maybe that's fine for a certain amount of time, like this is a mm -hmm. real issue with whatever you want to improve like you can zone in on it mm -hmm. but i think it's really important to kind of like because breaking is so varied in in all of its forms like you got to have a mix of all these things you got to take time yeah. to just explore because like creativity is a part of it right yeah. So you got to have time to do that you got to have time to like zero in on something like i don't know you want to get 90s but it's like a very specific move and so you've got to like yeah. drill it or something like that, or a footwork step or whatever yeah. or piecing together things it's like different kinds of practice will help with those different things um, definitely yeah anyway the next thing that yeah i want to i mean i guess it kind of leads into this <clears throat> is uh your your infamous like road to 100 wins Mm -hmm. and uh i kind of just want to talk about that in general and just the idea of like setting goals for yourself too mm -hmm. so yeah speak about i that. mean yeah definitely i think uh being goal oriented and breaking is difficult because there's i mean now you can have more structure right now we have a circuit of events we have an ecosystem that is consist you know it's kind of built itself and and we have consistency in the community but yeah i used i used the that Coming up in the, in the time I came up when came up in, it was just I used comp competitions and battles as, as somewhat 
uh, a place to get to mm-hmm. or a place to like test myself out, you know? And it was almost like, oh, my goal is to win Pro-Am. My goal is to win UKB World Champs. My goal is to win Rebel BC, right? It's like you have these goals and you, know, you set these almost like little, yeah, they're goals basically that you're trying to get to mm-hmm. and championships you want to accomplish or maybe people you want to battle. Um, you know, th- those were the things that started it and kind of pushed me. Um, but also the idea of a hundred victories is a, a, an idea that comes, that goes back to, uh, pre-breaking. Mm-hmm. So the idea of one in a hundred came because, uh, there was a Seattle Seahawk wide receiver named Steve Largent, and he was the first wide receiver in the NFL to score a hundred touchdowns in his career. And I was a big ass football fan growing up as a kid. And uh, to hear, you know, I saw a bunch of wide receivers that I, I, that was one of my favorite positions actually. So I always, was like, oh, damn, he got a hundred touchdowns. Like I just, it just, you know, it was like this groundbreaking thing. Yeah. It was new. It was, it was yeah. the first time I was done. And in 2002, when, when I started linking with Grimms, he actually brought up about keeping track of your victories, how important that, that is and how much value that can create for yourself. Uh, if you track, if you track your victories, so in 2002, I started competing in the summer of 98. So I was able to backtrace my victories pretty easily back then because there wasn't that many anyways. So like, oh, yeah, I won that battle and I won this battle and that battle. And then by 2009 comes around and uh, I was in, I had hit like 60 something wins. And I, and I watched his Jordan commercial with Carmelo Anthony. And he says there was like a message in it. And it was like, Damn, yeah, why not? Like. I should do something that hasn't been done or go pursue something new, right? And uh, yeah, that was kind of triggered the idea to pursue 100 victories. I mean, that road to 100, it was uh, very long. <laughs> At certain moments, I didn't think I was going to reach it. And it was just, uh, it was hard for sure. It was just like, oh, damn. But it gave me something to keep elevating my game and my craft, right? Because to me, breaking's always been about being innovative in your approach and, and the way that you move and connect your moves and how you dance is important to me. I don't just want to tick boxes to win a battle. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is, has been my style. This is how I break. And this is what's gotten me to where this far. So with this approach, I want to get to that point, mm-hmm. right? And and that that was the, I think the, the saying that I would win 100 was a push that really, I think, led me into this competitive, career breaking that was almost in some ways hyper extended right because you don't have many people that are competing that actively uh, at my age and especially at the ages that i did it at it was not like you know i was in my 20s trying to win 100 tournaments i was already going into my late 30s uh when i won 100 right it was the second mm-hmm. half of my 30s um and it was it was definitely a challenge but i, I it was a journey that i you know i felt like needed to get done Mm-hmm. Um, every victory was uh, after saying that you want to do that it's like there's this little thing in the back of your mind like picking at you like yeah you can do it you can do it you know And <laughs> but I was like, maybe you're not but it was just uh, I don't know I enjoyed it it was definitely something I'm glad I, I set that out and being able to do everything I did in the process is what made it that right it's the, the road to getting there is, is the beautiful part of of doing something yeah. Like what? Like what was that journey like? What was your journey like to to win your first battle? What was it that? What were the obstacles? And right. you know, if I were to tell you all the obstacles that came in the way, at moments when I felt like I wasn't gonna do it, it was just life hits. And um, you know, I also wasn't the most competitive, active guy either. Even though I was pursuing hundred. In today's competitive breaking, I have spoken to many competitors and dancers and. A lot of them enter up to 20 battles a year, 20 something battles a year. That's a lot. I can't, I never did more than 13. So, you know, if, if I'm gonna do 22 battles and I won five, okay, that's cool. But I just played myself 17 other times. You know, like it's a, for me, it's always been about feeling. So to enter 13 battles max in a year for me, on my most active year, even in my prime, I was very selective to to choose like okay i'll battle this month or that month or maybe i would skip three months but i would train those three months and maybe i'll do three battles in a row and win one of them or two of them but there was targets right there was things that i was pursuing and i used the competitive side of breaking as a 
as an outlet, but also it was like my way to establish myself. And, and I feel that it would create a different type of value for the community, even though not everybody's into that, you know, it's not for everybody. Um, but it, it creates a different type of uh, appreciation and recognition on a social scale because you're putting a statistic behind a dance that doesn't have statistics. So when you start adding numbers uh, and, and victories and losses and all that, uh, that you create a different type of uh, yeah recognition for, for what we do because a lot of people watch sports. They're not necessarily into the sport, but they know that number one in college is playing number two and they're both undefeated. Yeah. Like, I want to watch this. Who's going to win? <clears throat> right? yeah. So it's like you create, it's like boxers. When you have undefeated boxers fight each other, people want to see. They don't know boxing. A lot yeah. of people, it's not like they follow it religiously. They just heard that, oh, then they start studying the guy. Then they find out who he is. Like, oh, damn, that's the story. And he's mm -hmm. undefeated. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then this guy's undefeated too. Let me find out his story, right? You create a different type of words for the community. Yeah. Um, but again, it's not for everybody. But that was that's really the idea of winning 100 and, and keeping statistics within the dance. Yeah. Yeah, I think that last point that you made, the, the, the story too. Like, I think that's something that's so important that, in my opinion, it's something that like breaking kind of lacks. For that, sure. That there needs to be more things of like, I, I know that uh, Red Bull does this a lot too, with like mm -hmm. trying to give background on people and and, mm -hmm. and things like that or some event or whatever. Yeah. And I think like just, it's like a human thing. You know, we like stories. We even mm -hmm. if there's no story, we'll create a story out of it. <laughs> so it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, Rockstar's like going for a hundred wins, and then that's like, it's not just a number. It's not just a st statistic. It's something to follow in like this mm -hmm. journey and this story that that you go through. And it's like, yeah, it almost reminds me of like, you know, you're talking about boxing and mm -hmm. the undefeated person against the undefeated person. And like, I'm a huge pro wrestling fan, and like. Mm -hmm especially like us style pro wrestling is like they they craft these stories and they plan yeah. them out and it's like that's a big appeal because like, sure. like you know <laughs> it's just it's like it's all fake right but the, yeah. the important part is like this story to follow and that's what's interesting yeah. about it that's and what people fall in love with exactly right oh, yeah. yeah yeah i mean um, but that's also why people connect to athletes right because yeah. there's there might be something in their story that you can relate to yeah. And I think and breaking is not properly done. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So hopefully that's what these interviews will hopefully will we can do. venture into that world, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um we were, we had just been talking about the road to one hundred, but uh mm -hmm. I was I was kinda curious about your your life as a professional dancer and kinda how mm. how that's been and maybe if you get the chance to kind of take us through maybe a, an average day of the life of a, a Red Bull BC one all-star. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, sometimes you do nothing. <laughs> sometimes yeah. you're just completely chilling, you know, sometimes yeah. you just sit around training, developing, but I'll give you an example for today. Right. So <clears throat> a typical busy actual, like on schedule when things kick off like a tour day, um, you know, Call time uh, flight would be like 7 a.m. Uh, get to the airport like at 6 in the morning. Uh, you know, have everything already checked in. Then you, that, that, that's the beginning of the journey. Um, and then it would be like today I get here. I, I, I do some stuff with either the team that's throwing the event. Either it might be interviews, might be a photo shoot, uh, might be some kind of content uh, with video, um, dance dance content. I mean. Um, and then tomorrow we got a like 10 a.m. call time and then we got to go to the venue kind of just get a scope for things because this is going to be something televised uh then on saturday i'm catching a flight to texas where i get there go straight to the venue do a panel discussion check into the hotel next day i'm judging prelims uh the, doing showcase doing interviews doing content all at the gym so you're looking like this can be very busy but Within that, it sounds really, I think the, the hardest part is the traveling part. That's like the part where I think that's the most um, tiring aspect of it, right? Because when you're, once you're there, it's, you got breathing room, you got time to like take your time and not everything is so like stacked and, and rushed. It's like, okay, you, you know, like tomorrow when we go, uh, we got time. So we get there to the venue, we get to relax a bit, chill, kind of scope things out. 
it's not like a stressful thing but it is when it comes to like the idea of like having to get on a plane every couple of days that's what wears you down a bit you know and uh i think as a professional you know i mean for me i, I quit my day job at 26 so or my day jobs my, my my side work that i was doing um to pursue breaking full time so for me i really appreciate this and, and appreciate what i do because i know that where i came from to get to where i got to i knew i know that this is like a reward for for my life and what i've done you know so i, I really enjoy doing what i do um and yeah, it's, it's you work for yourself, so it's, it's an amazing uh, experience. And being able to have a sponsor uh, like Red Bull, you know, all they've done is really given me the opportunity to, to pursue my my talent and my abilities at the highest level that I can. And um, you know, that that's there's nothing like it. You know, it's really amazing to be able to uh, be able to continue to do what I love at the level that I'm doing it at, and to be able to keep myself. Uh, enjoying dancing and being creative with it still um, through all these opportunities and being able to have that freedom to do that has been amazing. Yeah. But yeah, as a professional, it's, you know, you got to be on it. You got to be smart. Um, it's not a, it's not just about moves. You really have to learn the other things of, of, of the dance. Uh, also, uh, you got to be able to know how to talk to people. Uh, you got to also know how to <laughs> prepare your, your stuff that you need to present. Um, come up with ideas, deliver the ideas. I mean, there's so much stuff that comes behind it, you know, because the All-Stars wasn't an idea, you know? It wasn't like, oh, let's just do this. It was like, there was an idea. We sat down, we wrote it down. And uh, Yelda and Thomas from Baradie helped us present this, you know? So it's, it's a it's a network of people that, that help that as well. But to create something like this, right, or a profession of breaking, like, it's not, your talent's going to get you there, but you have to also know how to manage yourself outside of dance uh, and know how to deal with people and all these other things and be responsive and all these things that, uh, as they say, you gotta be your professionalism. You gotta level up on your professionalism. You gotta be professional. Yeah. There's a lot of things that go behind it. Um, You, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but I, I want to, I want to talk about um, just the idea of doing your, your passion as a job and like balancing that, that kind of thing mm-hmm. of uh, doing it as work, but also trying to keep it still fun and enjoyable as, you know, your the thing that you love. Because that can yeah. happen a lot when, when people take on their passion as a job. It can start to feel like a job and less like a like art or whatever yeah. you how are you whatever you do. Yeah, you get burnt out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know what with breaking as a as a is the thing that's become the job um the balance of dance and, and creativity and enjoyment and fulfilling that feeling of what it was to you before this was something that you have to rely on to pay your bills or your livelihood uh you have to really be okay with where you're at you know i think a lot of times in the competitive side of breaking you feel like you have to be active all the time you know, a lot of people don't rest as much. We were constantly on the go, trying to win this battle, that battle, this battle. But as as a profession, and for you have to understand that that there's a time and place for that in period, and then there's also a time and place in period for you to take care of your responsibilities. So I think to where I've gone to and where I'm at, there was times when I missed a lot of events that I wanted to be at, but I knew that my priorities came first and things came first that I had to take care of. And I had to be okay with not being able to be active when I wanted to be active. Because the battling is battling is a lot of the times what we build our careers on when it comes to breaking, because that's how you build your name, that's how you establish yourself and the community, and that's how you get a lot of respect and garner all this attention to who you are, what you represent. And that's kinda how you kinda get yourself into the next position, you know. But if once you're there you have to find that you have to just accept where you're at. I think a lot of a lot of people get uh, wasted on the pursuit of trying to be somewhere they're not ready to be at. It's it's the same thing with a lot of talent. Um, they see someone like myself, or they see somebody that's endorsed, and they want that instantly, not realizing that that takes five, ten, fifteen years of work that needs to be done prior to getting into these positions. And that's the the same kind of struggle when it comes to finding the balance, because you still want to be very active and involved. But if you don't know how to separate both, you'll burn out because wanting one thing and not being able to prep for that, 
you're gonna feel like egg burnt out. You're gonna feel tired out. You're gonna be. You're gonna just draw a lot of energy trying to do that, and it's not gonna work. Or I mean, for me, I haven't. When I tried to do that, I felt like I lost my balance a lot, and I was. That's when I was at my worst. So. Hmm. Yeah, I, what you mentioned there too about being being okay with where you're at, and some people maybe they're not there yet. And I think we talked mm-hmm. about this last time, but uh, mm-hmm. the kind of other end of people not accepting that maybe they're like past that time of being the, the competition b-boy or b-girl yeah. or whatever and just like you know passing the torch and that kind of thing and uh mm-hmm. that's you know it's all about yeah just understanding like you said where where you're at what are your circumstances and that kind of thing and just being okay with it right yeah yeah, yeah it's like we talked about i think yeah i don't know if you, it was recorded or not but the, the um the whole thing like a boxer right yeah it's it's like they don't want to call it quits and i feel like that uh breaking is similar to that in terms of some of us we don't know when to step away it's a a fine line of like you want to you want to keep pushing yourself but it's like i don't know it's just like being honest with yourself right Mm -hmm. yeah you still do it is your body still (laughs) doing able is your body still holding up can you do it yeah (laughs) Yeah. because that's that's the thing with like I think breaking and and say like combat sports or anything physical like any any major sports uh mm-hmm. your body just kind of like wears away naturally even if you don't yeah, do it gives stuff. away yeah <laughs> yeah you you know you lose flexibility you can't do certain moves yeah. i mean if you're able to sustain that and keep up with it throughout your all these years i mean some people can do it right but mm-hmm. when you actually if you sat down and i actually measured the percentage of the amount of people that can actually sustain their bodies to deliver a certain style or, or level of movement it's really small mm-hmm. right i mean you still got like, the honk tens certain guys that are still able to do a lot of crazy movement and battle at high levels uh as they've aged right and still able to execute and deliver high level movement but when you think of that that's a really small percentage right think right. of those type of guys that you see and it's yeah. If from those generations, it's maybe one in a lot. I mean, you know, okay, I couldn't give you a number, even though I'm trying to bring that up. Uh, yeah, it's a, you can't, you know, it's a really small percentage. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, like I, I th- I'm assuming for a lot of people that as they as they age, their kind of style and their, their outlook on things and their priorities change and stuff. And uh, that's kind of, yeah, something that, I wanted to ask you about is over the years that you've been doing this, like how has your, how has your outlook on the dance changed over the years? And you can even talk about this too, within your, your style or just the mental side of things. Mm-hmm. The outlook on, on, my, on dance in general. I mean, I think, it's it, you go through different phases, right? And and I, I feel that breaking is such a dynamic dance, and 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 just such a unique thing that the way that we do our moves, the moves that we utilize, the things that we do, they're just so amazing uh, to the average person that we kind of get stuck and caught up in that. Um, as time progresses, yeah, like you're saying, it's like you you um, you just you're not able to do certain things no more, right? It's like when you watch a young player in this game, whether it's boxing, whether it's basketball, and in, in the beginning phases, they have a certain amount of explosiveness to their game. And as you see, as they've aged throughout their careers, they become more defined and fine-tuned in the way they play their craft. Uh, it's, it's, it's more almost like an art. They're smoother at it. They're more mature. Their form is, you know, everything just changes. And I think that those are the things as, as, as a dance has gone on through my through my life, I feel like I've learned to appreciate different things with it, mm-hmm. right? And I think those are the things that have helped me stay consistent with what I what I what I'm doing for this long. But I think it's it's a thing about just expression and music always. And I think as dancers and as people that rely a lot on the movements and dynamics of the dance, we still got to remember that this is a dance first, and that's what I mean. You have to really look at it for what it is. And how it started, and you gotta keep those true, those basic, not basic, but that the essence of that in what it is today. So you know, I, I think people gotta focus on those things. 
to to keep it going to future generations where we're able to be be able to carry those things on. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's a really important thing is is carrying on that tradition and stuff. Um, yeah, that that leads in quite nicely to the next thing that I wanted to talk about. You you mentioned him, uh, I think a few times in the earlier mm -hmm. session that we did. Um, yeah, but yeah, Mex and uh, his sort of. Can you talk a little bit about yeah, just maybe your experiences with him and you know the legacy that he that he left and yeah who he yeah was. i mean you know max was special max was one of those guys that was one he was a straight hip-hop head he was a purist he went he, he himself was always just very honest with what he had done and how he learned his way into what he became uh in terms of becoming very understanding of the culture and the essence of the culture and then he realized how important community was and he was a representation of that he was a leader a true leader a visionary and a very approachable person, very relatable. He could talk to anybody. And uh, yeah, he, he would be a guy that, I don't know, he, he was just, to me, he was really a like a purist and, and just a community <clears throat> leader. He really led by example. He helped people out. He, he reached out to anybody that needed a hand. He would always give it. And, and he was very helpful to a lot of people. And, you know, he touched so many lives and, and even when I, you know, being as, as close as I was to him, as I've, as the years have gone, I've met so many different people and the impact that he had on their lives or people that, you know, they tell me about their, their, how they met him or, 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 you know, their relationships with him in terms of friendships and stuff like that throughout the years. And it's just, you know, it's, it's reminds you of the person that he was and, and how he, he carried himself, what he did and what he was really about. And, you know, it's it's hard to sometimes think about it because I feel you know I feel like it's a it's a hard situation with with everything that that happened and um it's uh definitely he he's one of those people that believed in what I did and really backed me one hundred and ten percent um and yeah it's, you know it was a he's a, he's a great guy a great person and uh, yeah it's it's hard to come across people like that and. When you do, obviously, that, you know, you relate or you connect with people like that. And he was one of those people that always had your back. So, I don't know. It's so many different things that I could say about him. Yeah. But yeah, he, uh, he provided a lot. I mean, he was a visionary in terms of when we say that, I think it's easy to say that word. But he really led with that, with his ideas and what he thought and he envisioned. I mean, when he gave Kid David a shirt and the revenue from the shirt went to Kid David, that was the beginning of something, right? And then he made my shirt and then he gave a shirt to another guy. That's because he believed that we have to be self-sustained and, and to do that and to leave that kind of a mark in the scene, like that's what I mean with being a visionary because that, that is the way out. That is the way of the future. That is the way to be self-sustained. Mm -hmm. and, and I think a lot of, throughout the years, a lot of people have just gotten lost with some of the things, you know, but he really saw certain things that could be possible and he, and he was really trying to but he really made all of those things possible for a lot of us and achieved a lot of those things. But, you know, it's just part of the journey. So he really did a lot. Yeah, I I think uh, the scene needs more or the community needs more people like that, that, that uh, you know, are willing to to have that passion for the, the culture and the community. But also, yeah, mm -hmm. be very focused on like community first and and building mm -hmm. our own things. And uh, you know, it, just hearing that, I didn't even know about that that shirt sort of deal that had they they had you guys had. But it reminds mm -hmm. me of say like in in wrestling, a big part of how uh, independent wrestlers become self sustaining is through yeah. merchandise sales and there's a specific like, company that, that deals with a lot of the merchandise sales of a lot of these independent people. And, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it's like, I think these are the, these are the kinds of things that more people need to sort of like study and get deeper. And it's like, you know, mm -hmm. people might not like it. It's like, Oh, money is dirty. Business is dirty. We want to keep it pure and just keep it partying and this kind of thing. But mm -hmm. if you want to, yeah, yeah. if you want to have something that's sustainable as a, as a business, like you got to start looking mm -hmm. into it and you got to think of it 
in some ways as a business. You know? Yeah. You can Yeah, that's true. I, I hear you on that. that. Yeah, I mean, he was also, he was smart with that too. You know, he understood yeah. business as well. It was, uh, he was, he was just a very, a person that really studied and, and was very well-rounded on many different things and paid attention to a lot of different things and mm -hmm. would be very curious and ask questions and find out. Mm -hmm. And it, I mean, if you notice a lot of b-boys, we don't ask questions. We're more timid, we're more quiet, or we just feel more that we're at a certain level that we don't need to ask questions, you know? Mm -hmm. The ego kind of gets in the way from, for a lot of us. <clears throat> we feel like we're the authority, but in reality, the people that sit down and ask the most questions and are curious about whether it's this, whether it's something else that's going to help this, those are the people that are able to do more mm -hmm. and, and, and grow more and do things like he did. Because he was able to venture out and really explore certain things that some of us aren't willing to take the time to do. <laughs> yeah, but you yeah. know, he he was one of those one of the people that you know he built a a brand that was, mm -hmm. as far as I know, fairly successful and and uh, he had you know outbreak which still lives on through uh, MG and out in Europe, and that's like mm -hmm. one of the best events that I've ever been to. It's like, you know, yeah. A huge festival, yeah. basically. Yeah, MG is yeah like a student of Max. Basically, Max took him under his wing, basically, and uh, taught him all the things he knew. Mm -hmm. um, so to see him carry on uh, Max's vision out there has, has been good. Mm -hmm. It's been cool to see because you know he's preserving what he saw and what inspired him, and he's taking it to the other side of the planet to give the community there uh, something that inspired him and has inspired many people. Yeah. worldwide right even when it was here in the states uh it was somewhere that it was something special for everybody it was unique and it was uh it was preserving a certain feeling of the the events the jam where now you know when everything is we need everything to be around but <clears throat> when everything's focused on big stage stuff you lose a bit of the touch right so you still need to have those community events that are more grassroots mm -hmm to give you that and he was a representation of that yeah like uh just from my personal experiences going going to outbreak it was like from the moment you you get there you're like lining up you can hear the music and and number one he picked good djs he picked good venues yeah. he picked uh yeah he just he thought about the the whole atmosphere of like the whole experience from the moment yeah. we walked in the door it was like oh man this is something different at least for us, you know. Now, yeah, I mean, that's what it was for everybody. It was about, that's, a, I mean, when you think of, when you think about events and a lot of the events that impacted people's lives. I mean, I know that some other guys in this crew were at the Prime in 99. Uh, I mean, I was there, so I speak about that highly because it, was, it had that certain energy at that event that a lot of people uh, try to re recreate. And it was just something that special for everybody that was there and witnessed it that they walked out all those people that were there and there was a lot of people and they, there was a lot of people that became community leaders or people that stayed in the scene for long or became influential figures in breaking they were all at this event in the, in 99 right mm -hmm. and they all left and kind of like spread the word of what they experienced there and then the events that came after were trying to preserve somewhat mm -hmm. the energy of what some of us felt right not to mm -hmm. say that was like the ultimate event or whatever, but it was yeah. just such an experience for those that were there that, that they walked away. I know a lot of us speak highly of that, that moment. Mm -hmm. like, oh, Migas called out Kenny and Kenny. You know, it was just such a, it was East versus West, came out versus Flow and like all this stuff going on yeah. and just the energy and the, all the battles, the ciphers, the culture, everything that was there, the music. I mean, it was, it was everything. And I mean, when you look at Outbreak, it's about the vibe, right? It's about when you walk in the experience the lights the it's not too bright it's like yeah. the music that everything matters and attention to detail again being aware of creating an atmosphere um that's going to make you feel something that you normally don't feel at your average event right yeah and i think that's another thing too just talking about you know growing growing the community and stuff like that a lot of mm -hmm. a lot of times events can be very like dancer focused and mm -hmm. like you know, they think about the dancers experience, but they don't think mm -hmm. about say like general public. But when I went to like outbreak in the U S and outbreak in, in Europe, they mm -hmm. really thought about that kind of thing of like, there's, you know, there's like 
they had artwork that was being done like live live painting and you know mm -hmm. at uh in europe they had like basketball courts and there's like beanbag seat sort of things all over the place sit. <laughs> there's food there's a ton of food uh you know all kinds of things happening at the same time so like if you didn't want to watch say the prelims you can go and do something else or there's just space yeah. that you can go and like hang yeah. out there's a ton of people different people from all over the place and and even like yeah, with you outbreak, can see more uh, i think even both of them outbreak europe and us when it was still going like yeah. every there was kind of like the main hotel where everyone would be and uh you know that led to a lot of connections like either True. international or even from my experience it was like that's where like the canadian scene like really east and the west coast we really connected mm -hmm. was through one of the experiences was that outbreak wow <laughs> oh, you know, yeah like oh you're, you're here i'm here too like, yeah exactly and that's right? how you connect with people yeah and, yeah, cool, and it just makes all these connections and not just like uh like international connections and stuff like that so those kind of things are really yeah, important true. i think yeah you gotta have an atmosphere outside <laughs> of just the event and provide a place where people can actually talk you know, because, yeah, you're going to dance for a bit. I mean, you can't dance for 12 straight hours. You know, you exactly. can't dance for nine straight hours. You need to have those little breaks. Yeah. So if you create the atmosphere of the environment where people can connect and just chop it up and mm -hmm. network, then that's going to be, that's dope too. Because that's, you know, that's how a lot of things happen for a lot of people. But yeah, I mean, in terms of, uh, you know, instead of going to events and all day and you're watching, you know, 500 prelim competitors and then you watch the tournament and then you just walk out and leave, that defeats the whole purpose because this, movement this dance this culture is not built on just the competition side of it even though it's a, a good part of it and a big aspect of it mm -hmm. you still got to experience this as a culture and for what it is so if you're providing a space outside of that tournament environment that you're having at your event where people can sit down and, and connect and talk or, or just network you know that they're going to walk away with different with a different experience but if you just have seating where they just can sit all day and watch the tournament somebody that experiences an event where you can sit down and actually meet people, it's going to walk away with a different feeling than the person that probably just sat and watched moves all day. Yeah. Yeah. I like, you know, some of the best events that I've ever been to were, were ones where you just have, you have options to, for what you can do, yeah. you know, and even yeah. as a, even as a dancer, like, like you said, you don't want to dance all day. You can't dance all day. And, uh, <laughs> You know, sometimes you just want to go and chill and you want to chat. You want to catch up with some people that you haven't seen in a while or, you know, you met some new person. Maybe you were dancing together, but afterwards you want to be able to talk and stuff like that. Or, yeah, yeah. that kind of thing is really important. I think more more people need to consider that sort of stuff. I know not, not everybody has the budget for this kind of stuff. Of course, kind of yeah. Things, not, but, you know, everybody yeah. does what they can, you know. And that's why I said it's not like one event was all like what that's about the experience from the prime in Miami that was just my experience and a lot of people speak highly of it right that's not to say that that's like oh it has to be that way yeah. everybody does what they can and then what's yeah. possible you know, we're just saying at least what i want to say or the message i want to relay is that yet yeah, one of it one side of our community is taking off and it's great and it needs to keep pushing that way you know nothing i don't think it, there needs to be um we don't need to give one thing up or the other yeah i think that both can coexist right yeah, i just sure. think that People have to remember that we do need both yeah. <laughs> and don't forget right it's just yeah. that's important too yeah um i think if you look at where breaking started and where it's at now i think it's uh you can't really say that it's going in a negative direction <laughs> there's little <laughs> tweaks and maybe whatever it can always be be better but you know mm -hmm. i think in general it's going in a pretty positive way and it's come a long way yeah it's come a long way man it's still growing it's still developing i yeah. think just people as being a part of the dance community we just gotta make sure we're involved to make to help people carry this on in in, in a good way mm -hmm. yeah um well i think that's a good spot to finish up uh rocks right really really appreciate you taking the time to do this i know you're a very busy guy and yeah. uh but really appreciate it and I really appreciate everyone who's listening and watching. Uh, it's great to have your support. And hopefully we can do this again sometime. And yeah. 
I'm down. Thank you for having me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I appreciate you having me. Uh, glad we could make it happen. I'm a little tired today, but yeah, glad we made it and uh, it went down, you know, because <laughs> I was like, last time we were, it was the flow was good, you know. So, yeah, yeah. Thanks again for having me. Yeah. I um, hope we can connect again. <laughs> if people want to wanna follow you or, or, you know, follow your journey or whatever, are there any ways that mm -hmm. they can do that? Yeah, I mean, you can go on my, I have my YouTube channel, uh, Rocks Right. Uh, you can check out through my Instagram uh, here and there. Also, my website, rockstarrepresents.com. Uh, I post sometimes I post articles or just certain things about my career on there, or just general sometimes opinions. Um, nice. But yeah, you can check it out there. And sometimes I have products for sale, some nice. merch. Nice. Um, but yeah, whenever you guys, if you guys have the time, check it out. Cool, cool. Yeah. Well, again, really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll do it again sometime. All right, everybody. Sounds good, man. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody, we'll talk to you. We'll catch you in the next one. Peace. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and I really hope you enjoyed the talk. If you like what you heard, please feel free to check out some of the older episodes and help spread the word about the podcast. If you really want to go that extra mile, please consider supporting on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash RazzyF2, R-A-Z-Z-Y-F-2. Even as little as a dollar goes a long way, and it means a lot to have your support. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on the next one. Peace.